Welcome back to a new head of the pack draft breakdown. We got a big class to break down here, Bill. 13 players, nine draft picks yesterday. Brian Gutekunst, thankfully, at least didn't trade back yesterday uh, to add more draft picks. He had four seventh round picks, but some intriguing names as the Packers make this youthful transition from the Aaron Rodgers era. We'll break it all down. We've already got a bunch of questions headed our way um, on Twitter. So let's go pick by pick or position by position, I should say. Yeah, that makes uh, sense. Yeah, we'll start on offense. Uh, let's just go biggest position first, quarterback. Obviously, Jordan loves here. Um, I was at Aaron Rodgers' introductory press conference at Florham Park last week. Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst don't seem to want to talk about it, want to talk about anything having to do with Rodgers. They seem to be focused on the next chapter. Jordan loves obviously the starter, but an interesting name for a potential backup uh, in Sean Clifford. Dane Brugler had him ranked as his 20th best quarterback in the draft. He was the 11th one taken. Uh, Dane said he would be a priority free agent signing. He was a fifth round pick. From what I saw in his college tape last year, he is terrible. But and and I know you got an interesting text from a scout. But the Packers like what they saw, and as we've noted, he comes into a fantastic situation for himself because the only other guy he's in competition with for the backup job now is Danny Etling, who has never played in a game in his five seasons in the league. Yeah, and there's no veterans out there. I mean, it's all been picked over. I mean, even what you don't think Trevor Simeon. It, or Carson Wentz would be a good backup. Um, Trevor Simeon, I was told, I was told is is retiring. Okay. Um, and I don't know that Carson that Wentz. News? Uh, maybe I don't know. I didn't. I didn't write about it. I was just told that um, someone thought he was retiring. Um, and then Carson Wentz and Matt Ryan, would they really want to come here to be a backup after being no. lifelong starters? Are they going to come here to be a backup? If they're desperate for a paycheck, maybe. Or if you if you're those guys, do you wait to see if maybe someone needs like a high priority quarterback in August? So maybe Mason um, Rudolph. Yeah, I mean that would make some sense, I suppose. Um, but anyway, you know, Goody yesterday said that basically said that they're going to go with the young guys. Etling, is Etling young? Hell, is Clifford young? <laughs> they're going to go with older than Jordan Love. Regardless of how you want to rank them on age, um, basically it's they're going to go with Etling and Clifford until they're forced to go otherwise. So Danny Etling's 28, will turn 29 in July. Uh, Jordan Love is 24. Sean Clifford is also 24, but about three and a half months older than Jordan Love. So they wanted, Matt LaFleur said in Phoenix, you know, we could go with a rookie, we could go with a veteran. I think Sean Clifford's both. <laughs> well, he's a four-year starter, right? I mean, he's he, was he is old. He's old. 17. Right. He's old, but he's, he's played a crap load of football um he's not universally loved by scouts i i texted a guy and he i go what do you think of sean clifford in the fifth he's awful three laughing face emojis followed um but there's that's not a universal sentiment i mean there are people who actually like him mm -hmm. green bay has a type and that is you can't be short you can't be a statue and you have to be able to throw the ball you know with more arm power than i have so I mean, he, che he checks Green Bay's boxes, right? Yeah, and uh, Milt Hendrickson, who's the Packers director of football ops, talked to us about the Clifford pick yesterday, and here's what he said. He said, that kid coming into these, this environment in Lambeau, it's not going to be too big for him. 
And I think that experience factor, along with some of the moxie that he has as a guy, to me, it's a culmination of who he is, not one specific aspect. I will say this in defense of Clifford. We got him at a good spot where we valued him. So from that standpoint, we're very pleased to be able to add him. Goody mentioned his uh, athletic ability, his ability to create on the run. So we'll see. We'll see what he can do. Um, Running back next. We expected them to draft one, uh, and they did. They're set with their top two, with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, but like they did with Dillon in 2020, maybe they want to add some competition for that third running back spot uh, for Patrick Taylor and Tyler Goodson um, to see if they can maybe groom a guy to become the number two. Who knows if how much time Dillon or Jones have left here. They drafted Lou Nichols III from Central Michigan in the seventh round with their second of uh, four seventh-round picks. He he was very productive, not this past year, really, but uh, in 2021, led the FBS with 1,848 rushing yards, and and this did not lead the FBS, but his 16 rushing touchdowns, 5.4 yards per carry, um, has some experience as a pass catcher, so he'll compete for that third running back spot. Yeah, he's a big guy, 5'10", 220. I mean, that is Green Bay again. Does they brought in a guy from East Carolina on a visit too? Um, Keith Mitchell, like, right? Who's like five eight and like one hundred and ten pounds? I'm, I'm exaggerating on the weight, but that's Green Bay does like guys who ha- have some beef to him. Lou Nichols at two hundred twenty pounds has that forty catches in twenty twenty one. That kind of sticks, sticks out to me. Um, and they lost two guys to the NFL from their offensive line last year. So I think you can probably explain away the lack of production based on lack of blockers. Yeah. Wide receiver. Um, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, top two. And then after that, we'll see. Uh, they have obviously Samori Toure returning. Then the Packers legends, Bo Melton and Jeff Cott, and I believe. And then they used a second round pick on Jaden Reed out of Michigan State. Fifth round pick on Dontavion Wicks out of Virginia and a seventh-round pick on Grant DuBose from Charlotte. So some young guys in that receiver room. It, it's Matt LaFleur said in Phoenix he would like a veteran to add to the mix. There aren't many veteran options, at least enticing ones left. I anticipate they'd probably add at least one just to get a guy who's like seen NFL football before because as we talked about with LaFleur yesterday, Watson and Dobbs are kind of the veterans in that room now, and they're only entering their second year. They didn't even play full seasons last year. So um, I, I, I really like this Jaden Reed pick. Yes. I know, you know, Dane Brugler had him as his number 80 prospect in the draft. He was picked at number 50. But, you know, Jim Nagy, who, who's the head of the Senior Bowl, raved about this kid on Twitter. Didn't know why people were so low on him. He's got great hands, really quick, undersized, at least compared to the rest of the Packers receiver room. You know, Watson 6'4", Dobbs 6'2". Wicks and Toure, 6'1". Jaden Reed's 5'11". Um, but he can play the slot, can play outside. And an area where I think he'll be used is that punt returner. You know, Keyshawn Nixon was a very efficient punt returner last year, but there's going to be more on Nixon's plate at the nickel this year. So I'm wondering if the Packers want to maybe scale back on his punt return duties. He's obviously going to be the kick returner. He's first team all pro there. But I think they'll maybe want to scale back on the punt return duties so he can focus. I'm sure he can focus on everything, but there will be way more on his plate at nickel on defense. Um, 
and he'll also be kick returner. So maybe they throw Jaden Reed out at punt returner as well. He returned three, three punts for scores in college and told us this weekend to expect more house calls in the NFL. Yeah, I think you make a great point on Keyshawn Nixon. Look, if he's going to be the starting nickel, he might be he might be a little bit tired going back to return punts. Like, I mean, if he's on a third down coverage snap and yeah. having to return punts, I mean, that is a lot. And look, he was an adventure returning punts. Let's be honest. The numbers were really good, but how many balls did he let bounce two or three times? And he just ran in and picked him up. That's flirting with disaster. So I talked to Jim Nagy actually in the, in the car on the way to the draft on Saturday. Um, he said he's a ready-made punt returner. He said he looks so incredibly smooth back at the Senior Bowl, fielding those punts. And um, you're right. While he is a little small, he's not small for a slot guy, Matt. You know, that's a pretty good size slot receiver. I mean, Randall Cobb was five ten and a buck eighty, so he's got a you know inch and a half on Cobb. So mm-hmm. I think it, I think it's a great pick, a great pick, and he's going to play a lot right away. And then. Probably the the position group that will look most different this coming season, tight end. Luke Musgrave out of Oregon State in the second round. Tucker Craft out of South Dakota State in the third round. Listen, we knew they had massive holes without Robert Tunyon and Mercedes Lewis on the roster. We knew Josiah DeGuara and Tyler Davis haven't done anything to really prove they can be a guy at the position. They have two guys who have battled some injuries recently but two guys who they think are complete tight ends in terms of pass catching and blocking. Dane Brugler said Luke Musgrave has the talent to be the best tight end in this class. There were three taken before him, Dalton Kincaid in the first round, and then Sam Laporta and Michael Mayer early in the second round. But these, these two guys are really intriguing prospects. They're not you know strictly blocking guys. They both have some, some ability down the field, down the seam. And I think they're really intriguing options for Jordan Love. Uh, I think Musgrave probably, you know, I did a story after the draft yesterday, biggest immediate impact of any of the draft picks. I think it'll be Musgrave. They need a guy who can catch passes at that position. um, And he's probably the guy who can do so best. Even though his production was not great in college, as John Eric Sullivan said, the Packers VP of player personnel, um, he said, but we really like the skill set. Watching that kid move around, Watching him block, watching him run routes, we feel like there's a ton of upside. So Packers have two 22-year-olds here who are going to be thrown into the fire right away. Yeah, I was talking to the scout who, who mocked um, Sean Clifford. Um, he had crap as his number two tight end, only behind Darnell Washington, um, actually. <laughs> um, it's funny watching him. It's, it's FCS competition, but you know, it's like a semi running through like a, a swarm of mosquitoes watching those, watching those poor defensive guys bounce off him. He is a, he's a truck. Um, Musgrave is interesting, right? I mean, he's, he's never done anything. I mean, he's got like 47 catches in his career. So this is a total projection of a guy who's tall and fast, dropped too many passes. His blocking runs hot and cold coming off a rather significant injury, but man, the upside is, is, is strong. And you know, I was, I was talking to someone about a month ago, if you're gonna if you're gonna have a young quarterback, two tight end sets are really the way to go, because it's power formations to make people think you're gonna run the ball. You can keep one in the block. Um, he thought that's a really smart way to play football with a young quarterback. So we'll see. They're gonna play a lot because you know Tony and Lewis played a lot. 
Yeah, I think Mercedes Lewis played a little bit over 41% of the offensive snaps last season. And Tunyon played a little bit over 54%. So this is an offense that uses two tight ends pretty heavily. Um, there's still room for Jaguara as that gadget piece out of the backfield. And yes, he has caught some passes. But in terms of downfield threats at the position, the Packers did not have any. Now it seems they might have two? Question mark? We'll see. Offensive line, they didn't pick anybody. Not a surprise when I mean, we talked about that. Not a surprise in the, in the draft. Offense. In the draft, when we were talking about them, if if you have thirteen under contract, yeah, and this is actually borrowing off your point at safety. If you have thirteen under contract, you really need to add fourteen, unless the guy is really good. Exactly, and they weren't really good, so they just didn't draft one. Yeah, after drafting three in each of the last three drafts, Packers did not draft an offensive lineman. They're set there. Uh, they have their top seven returning. It's going to be a top 10 unit, arguably. I've thrown this stat out here before, but they were eighth in ESPN's uh, run block win rate, fifth in pass block win rate, and that was with a bunch of injuries. Granted, there are probably going to be injuries again this year, but they have depth there. And, you know, when guys like Caleb Jones aren't really even sniffing the rotation yet, that could be a good thing. Granted, we don't know if he's any good, but you know, you talk about Bakhtiari, Jenkins, Myers, Tom, Runyon, Nyman, Newman. That's your top seven, and they're all back. So, uh, offensive line looking like it is in good shape. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, Listen, on, on O line, real quick, Matt. Remember yeah. Sean Ryan, too, last year's third round pick, who didn't yes. play a single snap, um, was suspended for performance enhancing drugs. Um, he's back, and with the year of seasoning, maybe he's that quote unquote track pick. Maybe third round pick. Maybe he'll be the one to break the third round pick curse. Um, We knew they had to add at defensive line, the interior of the defensive line with Kenny Clark, TJ Slayton, Devontae Wyatt, the only three returners who played a defensive snap last year. You know, Chris Slayton and Jonathan Ford are still on the team, but they did not. So (laughs) they added Colby Wooden uh, out of Auburn, D tackle, Carl Brooks from Bowling Green, D tackle, both guys. Um, I guess have the ability to play on the edge, but both are going to play inside with the Packers. This Carl Brooks pick uh, fascinates me because he led Bowling. Granted, it's the Mac. I understand that. Um, He led Bowling Green in sacks all five years he was there. I believe he had 30 and a half tackles for loss his last two seasons. He's about 300 pounds, played mainly on the edge in college, but the Packers are going to move him inside. And they have, I know... We, I forget who it was we were listening to yesterday. It might have been Milt Hendrickson. And they're talking about th- these guys' pass rush abilities from the interior. And granted, the Packers have not gotten enough pressure from the interior. But guess what they also stink at? Defending the <laughs> run. And you leaned over to me and goes, who's going to stop the run? So, yeah, they might be able to pressure the passer. But if these guys can't stop the run, it won't make a damn difference. Yeah, I don't get that. Um like Brooks, like you mentioned, Brooks is a bigger guy, but he's never played on in the interior. Um, Wooden, who has played on in the interior, is a smaller guy. It's just, I don't care about rushing the pass if it's third and two every damn play, right? So that's a, that's an interesting one. They, they better hope Jonathan Ford, who is a bigger guy, who didn't play at all last year, their seventh round pick, can really rise to the occasion. At least give him something, right? Because Slayton yeah. kind of can play the run. Uh, we have no idea about Wyatt, right? Um, yeah, that's, uh, looks like a weakness to me, Matt. Yeah, probably. 
Uh, on the edge, Lucas Van Ness, the one addition, first round pick, number 13. It's the guy they got with the pick they uh, swapped with the Jets in the Aaron Rodgers trade. Didn't start a game in college, but that shouldn't distract you from the fact that he still played more defensive snaps than the two guys ahead of him. Um, I guess Iowa just is a seniority program. He had two yep. fifth-year seniors, I believe, uh, who started over him on the edge. He played more than both of them. Really tremendous upside guy, can rush from the inside or outside. And Rashawn Gary, shout-out to Rashawn Gary, graduated college this weekend, went back to Michigan, um, as his mom posted on Twitter. We don't know if he's going to be ready to play week one coming off a torn ACL. Uh, and he's a guy that needs that knee to rush. So Preston Smith, JJ and Agberry, Justin Hollins. We know you need a rotation at edge. Uh, and Lucas Van Ness is going to be thrown right into the fire. You know, they needed an edge rusher, even if Gary was perfectly healthy. Maybe not as badly as they did that he's coming off a torn ACL, but uh, we all know the numbers. I've said it 97 times on here about how much the pass rush dropped off a cliff after Gary's ACL injury last year. So I think this Van Ness pick has the potential to be very interesting and set up a nice one-two punch on the edge for years to come with him and Gary. Yeah, he's like the most Packers pick ever, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, he's he's got the height, the size. I mean, he's kind of got that Preston Smith or Sean Gary height-weight combination. To a, a total Packers pick. And he's going to play a lot. There's a lot of upside there, man. At 275 pounds and his athletic ability and his upside as a guy who's really only played on the edge one year, he's got a chance to be really, really good. And he's going to have to be right away, right? And, and as we all know, the strap isn't always about this year. Obviously, he's going to help. But Preston Smith's going to be, what, 31? Or is 31 already? Um, got some big cap numbers coming up. So this might be a uh, might be a Rashawn Gary, Lucas Van Ness tandem in 2024 as your number one pair. Yeah, and uh, next extension on the books, Rashawn Gary. Absolutely. Um, next, middle linebacker. Didn't draft anyone, didn't need to. You have Devondre Campbell, Quay Walker, uh, Isaiah McDuffie, Eric Wilson. You know, Chris Barnes, he signed with the Cardinals, right? Oh, that's right, he did, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, they're set there. And then corner, they only added Carrington Valentine out of Kentucky in the seventh for some depth. They're fine at the top of that depth chart. Jair Alexander, Rasul Douglas, Eric Stokes, Keyshawn Nixon. Um, they have Shamar Jean Charles. Valentine's a long guy. I don't expect him to be in the rotation, but uh, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it does matter who you pick in the seventh round, but uh, that's when Rich Bisaccia kind of takes over the controls. Yeah, I don't know anything. I didn't know much at all about Valentine. I didn't do really any pre-draft work on the corners because they didn't need one really. Um, but reading some stuff from people who do know about the corners. Um, that's a, that's a pick that really has the draft gurus excited as a potential starting kind of guy down the line. So um, typical Packers height speed kind of guy at six foot in the, in the four fours, some good ball production in a really good league. So people who know a lot more than me like that pick. Fantastic. And then safety, like we talked about earlier, um, everyone's, why aren't we drafting safety? Why aren't we drafting safety? This safety class stunk. And if you don't get one of the top couple guys that can compete for a starting spot with you, you don't really need one after that because bodies at the position is not the problem. They have Darnell Savage, Rudy Ford, um, Tarvarius Moore, who they signed in free agency, former 49er. 
in its gains, Tariq Carpenter, Dallin Levitt. They need a starting caliber safety. They clearly didn't like Brian Branch enough because they could have picked him twice uh, at 42. And then Brian Branch went 45, which was the Packers original pick, which they traded out of. So they clearly weren't high enough on him um, to pick him. So there's a reason. Only two safeties went in the first two rounds, him and Quan Martin from Illinois. Adrian Amos, happy 30th birthday yesterday. What you doing? Uh, Brian Gutekunst is typical line on all these guys who, who are still free agents. Is we won't close the door on him. He said the same thing about Crosby. The door is, the door is closed on Crosby. Maybe not so much on Amos. Uh, he said, we've been in contact with him throughout the process. They might need to give him a ring because no matter how much Goody wants to stand up there, he didn't say this, but if he did, uh, and profess his confidence in Rudy Ford and Darnell Savage, you cannot trot those two out there as you're starting to. Yeah, I'd agree with all that. I know Amos had the one visit with the Ravens in free agency. That's his hometown team. Nothing came out of that. That might be one of those deals where the Ravens are waiting for the um, compensatory free agent window to close and see who they picked up in the draft. And I don't even know if the Ravens picked a safety, but whatever. Um, as far as Anthony Johnson goes, intriguing guy. I mean, he started a, for a few years at corner. Um, the Iowa State coaches said, hey, what a, we think, or the NFL guys are telling us that you need to go play safety. That's going to be your NFL spot. So he stuck in the round for one more year of college, played safety. Um, but those cover skills, maybe could be a nickel kind of guy down here, down, down the road too. So a, a really good, solid pick at number 242. Yeah. Uh, obviously no picks at long snapper or punter, but a kicker pick. Anders Carlson, sixth round out of Auburn, younger brother of Daniel Carlson, who is a uh, pro bowl kicker for the Raiders. Obviously Packer fans will remember Daniel Carlson as the guy who helped them tie the Vikings back in 2018, could not kick at Lambeau Field, lost his job, has been a stalwart for the Raiders ever since. Rich Basaccia coached Carlson for about three and a half seasons in uh, Oakland and Vegas. I, I covered Carlson and uh, Basaccia there in the 2018 season, but um, now he goes on to his younger brother. That's another pick maybe uh, Basaccia was at the controls for. Him and Parker White are the only two kickers Anders Carlson's numbers are not great. They're not good, Matt. I, I think that's putting it kindly. But there is some stuff there about him coming off the ACL, uh, battling with the brace. So the, Brian Gutekunst tried to couch some of that. But looking at those, those numbers from Auburn, that doesn't make you feel too good for a rookie coming in to kick at Lambeau Field of all places. No, he was 20, at 20 out of 22 in 2020 so he had one really good season but man oh man if you can't make more than 75 percent of your kicks in college what the hell are you going to do here he had five kicks blocked in his career too now i have no idea if that's um his fault or the protection's fault or a combination of but yeah not good um when gudekun said that the door's not closed on crosby i took that to mean if nobody signs mason and it's august 15th and these guys stink yeah. Maybe we revisit it. Yeah, of course. Right. But that's, that's it. Right. I mean, Mason Crosby is the greatest kicker in Packers history. He needs like 80 points to become the eighth guy in NFL history of 2000 points. This guy is an all time <laughs> great kicker. Yep. Um, I think he can still play. I think the knee kind of messed with his kickoffs and all that last year, but um, for now they're moving on, which is a, a kind of a frightening thought. I mean, Crosby's so good here, right, Matt? In, in, you, you, you mentioned 
how Carlson's brother struggled here in the cold. Like all kickers struggle here in the cold. I, I mentioned during Crosby's career, visiting kickers in January made 70% of their field goals at Lambeau. And Crosby was like in the 90s. And, and the thing is, Crosby was on my flight back to Green Bay last week, actually. Uh, he, he, that's not saying he's resigning as a whole damn family here. So, uh, listen, when Brian Gutekunst talked about Crosby at the Combine when we sat down with him, I was like, oh, this guy's back. Because what Goody said was, you don't just pick up kickers off, I'm paraphrasing here, you don't just pick up kickers off the street who can kick in these Lambeau conditions. Crosby has mastered it. He's, he hasn't missed a playoff game or regular season game in the last 16 seasons. So I was like, okay, yeah, he, he can, he can still kick. And I mean, hell in week 17, Crosby set the record for longest field goal at Lambeau by a Packer 56 yarder against the Vikings that went in off uh, the, the up the bottom upright crossbar. I guess it's the crossbar. Yeah. Um, but it, despite that, the juice in his right leg clearly isn't there, not only on kickoffs, but you need a kicker who can, get you into field goal range not long after you cross the 50. That's not Mason Crosby. Um, maybe they just went for it as much because of who they had at quarterback, but you need a kicker who has a boot on him. And Crosby doesn't really anymore, regardless of how reliable he is from short to mid-range, regardless of uh, how much he's mastered the wind conditions and the cold at Lambeau. And that'll be a massive transition for whatever kicker you bring in and you're not going to get any reps with that during the off season or preseason because it's not going to be cold. So it's going to be, if Crosby isn't here and I agree with you that the door not being closed is if nobody else signs him and, and Carlson and Parker white just flat out stink. Um, he could be a, a late because Mason Crosby doesn't need reps here. Uh, but if it is Carlson or white and they go into a, a November October game at Lambeau and it's 15 degrees outside and they've never kicked in the cold before here. It's going to be scary as hell for Packer fans. It is, but you know, you, you gotta, you gotta move on at some point. Right. And if I, I guess the perfect time to move on is right now when you've got a young quarterback and frankly, these guys probably aren't going to be very good this year. Right. It's going to be some, it's going to be a growing pain season. So if you're going to be going through those growing pains and, you're probably not a legitimate championship contender. It's probably the time to move on from Crosby is, is now with, and, and hope that one of these two guys or, you know, you luck into somebody with in a mid-August signing, whatever it's going to be. It's probably, it's probably time. You can't, you, at some point, Crosby's really going to be washed up, right? So yeah. It's, it's, it's time to move on and hope you find one. That's all the positions. Uh, we got a bunch of questions, so let's get to them from, Jack's track three, Packers starting OL, week one, left to right. David Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, Zach Tom, John Runyon Jr., Yash Nyman. I will stick with Myers at center. Okay. I don't know why. Other than Tom's versatility is so good and so important. If you have to move him out of center because – you know, Bakhtiari doesn't wake up feeling well or, you know, run in, twist an ankle or whatever it is. I don't know that I want to be messing with my center. So maybe, maybe Myers gets one more crack at it. As you're, as in year three and Zach Tom is your all important sixth man. But Myers, Myers, he's a step it up. I mean, there's no, no two ways about that. 
And I'm wondering, this is just me thinking out loud. LaFleur said yesterday, implied, not that they're going to dumb down the offense, but with so many young guys, they can't put so much on their plate. There was a hell of a lot on Josh Myers' plate with Aaron Rodgers behind him. And that's not even taking into account the intangible pressure there is of like not messing up for Josh Myers is a pro. I get that. But for a young guy coming into the league, being Aaron Rodgers center, there's some nerves, some mess ups, and he's going to get on you. And for, by all accounts, Josh Myers took that well, but with maybe less on his plate um, in terms of audibles and play calling and having a young guy who's your age instead of a guy that you're, you, I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying Josh Myers was afraid or nervous of messing up for Rodgers, but maybe we see a different Josh Myers, a looser Josh Myers. Now, that won't matter when he's, you know, blocking, per se, or, or run blocking or pass blocking, but uh, we'll see if he can hold on to that job. I expect it to be a competition at center in camp. Next. Yep. Agree with all that. From Pat, who will be the top surprise from the draft class and the undrafted class? Um, I'll go draft class. Let's see. I'm going to go Carl Brooks. Really thin at interior defensive line. And like we said, they need someone who can, who can get after the passer. He's got an interesting frame, super productive in college. And I'm hesitant to be like, oh, he had really good numbers in college. So he, he's a surprise. But um, I'm going to go Carl Brooks. With Dontavian Wicks, a close second. Ah, I'm taking Dontavian Wicks. All right, go ahead. Uh, here, this guy is. In, there's a few guys in this draft class, right? Where if they were, if their 2021 numbers are so much better than their 2022 numbers. In 2021 at Virginia, the guy caught 57 passes for 1,203 yards. That's a 21.1 yard average, nine touchdowns versus five drops. And that, at, at that point, that guy looks like a. Second round draft pick. Yeah. 2022, you know, 30 catches, average 14.3 yards a catch, two touchdowns versus nine drops. Wicks during a Zoom call with us said um, it was a new offense and he was thinking too much. Of course, he's going to have a new offense. He'll be thinking a lot here, too. Um, but he says he's a much better um, pass receiver than those drops numbers would indicate. But um, there's room on the roster for a guy who's six foot two. Fast enough with giant hands. I think Wicks could be a, a real player. From Diraj, MLF tried to hide his excitement yesterday about the tools he got, but how excited should the fans be to see an actual MLF offense? Yeah, I tweeted yesterday, we're going to get to see what kind of coach he really is. It's no secret that Aaron Rodgers had large influence on this offense, um, whether it was the game planning aspect of it or the on-field audible aspect of it. This is Matt LaFleur's team now. There are a lot of young weapons. There, I asked him yesterday, you know, you don't have Rodgers, Lazard, uh, Tunyon, Cobb, these veterans who you've relied, Lewis, the veterans who you've relied heavily on. Matt LaFleur's got to get these guys going. Jordan Love, Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, Watson Dobbs, uh, Reed, Wicks, Torre. They have experience at running back and O-line, but you know, Musgrave and Kraft. I think LaFleur is going to be really excited. It's the creativity aspect of it that he's going to be able to show off without not the pressure of Aaron Rodgers, but without having to really uh, worry too much about Rodgers 
overwhelming input in him perhaps being against a lack thereof? Um, yeah, probably true. Um, the, the whole Matt LaFleur offense, we get to see the Matt LaFleur offense. I don't, I don't buy that. Like any good coach is going to tailor the offense to his personnel. So LaFleur tailored it to Aaron Rodgers. He's going to tailor it to Jordan Love, right? Um, will there be less audibling? Probably. That doesn't make it a good thing that you're audibling less though, right? I mean, that Rodgers is audibling. Now they weren't always hundred percent correct, of course, but it's certainly nice to have the experienced quarterback who can see what the defense is presenting and change the play at the last moment. So I don't know that's necessarily better or worse. That's going to be quote unquote, Matt LaFleur's offense. Here's an interesting one, Bill. And I think we can have a larger discussion about this from Zachner. Should Gutekunst pick up the fifth year option for Jordan? Ah, that's a good question. Zachner would say yes. I asked Goody about that yesterday. He said, I have until Tuesday to find out. They probably know if they are already. But I don't know if they have. Uh, I don't think they have officially yet. They probably made the decision if they have. And when you said, what's the reason not to, he basically said, you know, Jordan hasn't played. It's a lot of money. But at the same time, we're moving forward with him. It's around $20 million. They'd be guaranteeing Jordan Love for 2024. Um, Listen, the... Here are my two cents. The logical thing to do is to not exercise it because what if Jordan Love downright sucks this year and then you're stuck with a $20 million salary for a guy that you don't know if is the, you don't know if he's the long-term guy, but at the same time, from an optics perspective, it's not the greatest look. If this guy who you've publicly said, we wouldn't move on from Aaron like this, if we're not this confident in Jordan, and then you don't exercise his option. So how confident are you really? And I think Jordan Love is going to get at least two years minimum to prove he's the guy. But at the same time, if you don't exercise the option, then Jordan Love, even if he's really good, I was having this discussion with some people last night, even if he's really good for the first 12 weeks of the season and you go to David Mulugeta, his agent, and say, we want to do an extension. They can say no. They can say, you know what? You should have exercised his option. Because guess what? Now we're going to test free agency, see what he can get on the open market. Now I get they can tag him, but that's uh, very, very expensive. Um, It just brings that uh, uh, option of free agency into play. So it's dangerous to not tag him. It's probably the logical thing or not not, uh, exercise the option. Probably the logical thing. But it's still a lot of money if you do it without knowing really what this guy can give you. It's all well said, Matt. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it either. They they can think that he's good. I mean, and they can sincerely think that he's good. Like without bullshitting us, they can sincerely think that he's going to be really good. But you don't know until he plays, and that's why they just pissed it all away last year. They should have let him play when they were four and eight, and Rodgers had the bad ribs and the bad thumb. They should have just moved on. So you'd have gotten five full games with Jordan Love starting. So now you wouldn't have to be going through this whole dance with them, right? They should have just yeah. played them. Um, if you don't do the option, that's a hell of a lot of pressure on Love. A, he's already at the pressure replacing Aaron Rodgers, but B, he's playing for his career. He's going to have seven or eight games to show that he's worthy of $30 million a year or worthy of nothing. That's a lot of pressure. And it's not bad to put pressure on the guy because there'll be pressure in playoff games too. Um, but I would not... And I would talk to his agents and say, and, and let them know what we're thinking and be, 
if he's turning the right way through six, eight games, let's get this out. And it's going to be a lot more than 20 million a year. That's how I would handle it. Mm -hmm. Let's do one more. What does not drafting a tackle or any lineman at all mean for Bakhtiari and Nyman long-term? Listen, Bill, I think you hit it on the head. Like with a safety position, if you're not getting a, a tackle that you think can start for you now or start for you next year, there's no point in getting one. Bakhtiari might be on his last year. We've talked about it here. Uh, cutting him after this coming season would free up $21.5 million on the 2024 cap. Nyman is on the second-round tender, but that's a, a one-year deal as well. So um, they have depth there. They have Elton Jenkins, Zach Tom. That's probably it right now for tackle depth in terms of <laughs> right. uh, guys not named Bakhtiari or Nyman that can play. You're not putting Royce Newman there. Caleb Jones, maybe. Um, I don't think it means too much of anything in terms of, oh, we're, these are our long-term guys. I just think it means they had more immediate needs and didn't really like the guys who they had enough to say, we need to spend this much of a premium pick on them. Uh to like groom to be a tackle. I, I thought there were a couple guys on the board at tackle at 13 who maybe could have been the guy if they wanted to groom him for a year before taking over at left tackle, but they liked Van Ness better. And, and I think this could be a position where who knows, maybe Buckterry plays a couple more years here. And uh, the fact that they didn't take a tackle, maybe just uh, clouds that future there a little bit more. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that, all that. And if you do need an offensive tackle next year, Matt, what team has two first-round draft picks? The Green Bay Packers. I'm assuming they'll have two. And they'll, you know, if, if you need to go get a specific one that you like, you've got options. Yeah. So, yeah, look, these guys need to win. Brian Gutekunst needs to win this year. And drafting offensive tackle, while it would have been prudent, isn't helping you win this year. So Lucas Van Ness makes a lot more sense than offensive tackle Broderick Jones. Um, the tight end receiver in the second round who can play right away and make a lot more sense than whatever offensive tackle was available at 42. Correct. Uh, Goody's job is to plan for the future, but his job might not be as secure as it was two years ago last year. So he has to uh, fill some immediate needs, and he did that. Pretty much every pressing positional need he filled in the draft aside from starting caliber safety but that's the draft episode listen we got rookie mini camp coming up this this coming weekend uh then phase two of the offseason program otas we'll hear from jordan love in the near future his first public comments as the starting quarterback of the green bay packers we'll have it all for you right here on the head of the pack podcast thank you for listening again for bill i'm matt we will talk to you next time